Welcome to today's episode of Empowered, a perfectionist guide to imperfection, hosted by me, Miranda Lee. It's time to take back control of our lives, and it's time to write our own story. Remember, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Let's dive in. Hey, you guys. Welcome back. So happy to have you here. Before we get started, um, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts on your phone, just go ahead and go to my page and just scroll all the way down to the bottom and leave me a five-star review if you love this podcast. It's as quick and easy as that. So if you do take the 10 seconds that it takes to leave me a review, I appreciate it so, so much. All right, let's get this episode started. Hey, you guys, welcome to another episode. I'm so excited to have my sister-in-law, Laura, on this podcast. Um, we are filming this and recording this outside because we have a house full of like 20 different dogs, a six-year-old, and Mimi and Pops that are entertaining the dogs and the six-year-old. So you might hear some birds chirping and some bugs buzzing, but that's what you get in good old Tennessee. So like I said, I'm interviewing my sister-in-law, Laura. She is married to my older brother, Patrick, who is 10 years older than me. So I've known Laura since when I think probably six when I was in the sixth grade that's probably even sooner than that probably yeah I my last my earliest memory of you and my brother are like you and Patrick walking me to my sixth grade class before you guys flew back um to wherever you were stationed at that time Brunswick Maine oh there there we go yeah that was a long time ago so you've been a part of my life for a very long time (laughs) so um Laura's gonna introduce herself But just so you know, we're kind of going to be going over what it's like to be a woman in the military and struggling with infertility and how those two kind of overlap and other things as well. So go ahead, Laura, introduce yourself. Well, as Miranda said, uh, my name is Laura. I am 34. Oh my gosh. My gosh. (laughs) It hurts my heart to say that. I will be 35 in a few days. Happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday to me. Um, I have a beautiful, amazing six-year-old baby boy. Always going to be my baby. My one and only, as Miranda said. My husband and I did struggle with infertility. Um, I've been in the military for 15 years, almost 16, coming up in August. So, four more years and then I can retire. Almost there. Almost there. so close. (laughs) The light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Born and raised in Texas. So, that's a, a blessing in and of itself right She's there. a country gal. I guess you can say. <laughs> Some people would call it country. But that's me in a nutshell. All right. So, let's start with your military journey. You joined, like you said, almost 16 years ago. So, for those of you who do not know, to have a full career in the Navy and to retire, you need to be in for at least 20 years. So, Laura is coming up on her 20-year mark, so she'll be able to retire and get all those good benefits, you know what I'm saying? How has your journey in the military have has been? Because I know it's probably different being a female. I know a lot more women are getting into the military now, but I would still say it is a male-dominated career, and I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of sexism going on and standing up for yourself and 
Just a little warning before we get any deeper into this podcast. Laura's a very strong, independent woman, so if you are easily offended, me and her might end up saying something that will offend you somewhere along the lines, but you have been warned. But go ahead, Laura. Tell me just how it's been to be a female in the military. It has been hard to be a female in the military. It started, I mean, I joined straight out of high school. I mean, I graduated a month later. I was on the bus shipping to boot camp. So there was no break for me. It was from one straight to another. Um, In boot camp, I was rated as the highest recruit you could be. So you have levels of your recruits you have. I was the recruit chief petty officer. So I was what we called the RPAC, the one that that led the recruit division. That was me. So if you you watched your husband graduate, Mm -hmm. so the one that that led everybody that had the the sword, Mm -hmm. that That was was, That was me. That was this girl. So I make it a point to take those standards that they set, like this is what you are or what you have to achieve, and be like, oh, I see your standard, and I'm going to raise your bar. Like, I, I'm like, oh, this is G.I. Jane. Well, here's where, where I want to be. Because I don't like the gender biases. I don't like playing those games. It has been extremely hard to continue to do that. My first duty station, um, I actually went to Iraq and did a tour in Iraq there, and I was a, I was a prison guard while I was overseas doing that yeah that sounds spooky (laughs) so um and that was hard there too because the prisoners over there they don't carry a lot of respect towards women they only respect fellow males or males in general so that was another struggle in and of itself to to be a lower ranking person because i was i hadn't even been in the navy for a year and then on top of that i was a female so to try to earn the, the respect of the prisoners, which that's what it, it's not a it's not a dictatorship in that situation. You're, you're earning the respect of the prisoners. That's how you get things done. Mm-hmm. You don't just dictate and, oh, you do what I say. It doesn't work like that. You have to build a rapport with them and then go forward from there. But even going through training, we went through an army based training and they were we were doing some of the like army men carries and learning how to do combat carries and Mm -hmm. combat maneuvers and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, the women won't be able to do this one, so we're not going to make you go through it. And me and another girl were like, we're not playing that game. Like, we can combat carry this guy by his flak vest out, too. And so we... This is like some Mulan kind of stuff. And so we did. (laughs) Like, they wanted you to grab him by his, like, arms and lift the top half of his body up and drag his feet. And they were like, oh, we don't think that you two are strong enough to do it. And we were like... Bet. <laughs> bet, yeah, basically bet. Watch us. And so we did. Like, it's always been a struggle because everyone's got this preconceived notion that women are fragile or feminine or not as strong as men. And I'm like, anything you can do, I can do just as well, if not better. There's Where there's a will, there's a way. There's always a way to accomplish something. We just We may not be able to do it the same exact way that you can do it, but we can do it too. So while you've gone up, in your ranks because you're obviously a higher rank now than when you started um you've had these different duty stations do you notice that when you start at different duty stations that you kind of have to like start over again to to prove yourself absolutely i'm sure that men don't have the same struggle everywhere i go everywhere i go a man can walk into the same duty station and just instantly get the instant like respect and be yeah. accepted into the good old boy club, as you want to call it, or whatever you want to say. Whereas I come in and everyone's like, oh, we got to see how she's going to act. Because mm-hmm. if I come in as super, oh, I'm a feminist, I'm all about girl power, I get I get portrayed as one of those, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And if I come in as, 
submissive, I get portrayed as you can walk all over me and, and push me around. So it's a very fine line on how you how you portray yourself and when and where and who you stand up to yourself to. Because if, if you go to the wrong person or if you go at the wrong time or you skip the wrong chain of command, you're then perceived as a snitch or however you want to look at it. Like if you jump the chain of command, if you jump your chief mm-hmm. and go straight to your CMC, you've lost the respect and the trust of your chief. Have you faced any, um, you know, sexism in Absolutely. the branch? And who's it typically with? People same rank as you, above, below, like what if Both. any patterns? Both. I haven't really necessarily had any patterns, but I have had, I have faced sexism and chauvinism specifically, where I've, I have had men tell me that women don't belong in the workforce. I've had men tell me that I specifically don't belong in this Navy. Yeah. I've had junior sailors tell me that they don't want to work for me. Just because you're female? Just because I'm female. So then what do you do? I tell them to basically suck it up. Like, you don't get to pick and choose where I'm at or who you work for. And you may not you may not respect me as a person, but you will. Whether you're a higher ranking or a lower ranking, you will respect my rank. Because rank is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. It is both up and down the chain of command. Do you feel like the people that you've had to deal with, like the sexism that you've had to deal with, has kind of shaped who you are in your personality and how you approach all men in the Navy or in the military? It is. It, and it has. I do. And I don't think it's just in the military, too. I think it's in general. Mm-hmm. In and out of uniform. It has shaped. I have grown so much in the past 16 years being in the military. And it's changed the Laura that I was in high school to the Laura that I am today are two completely different people. We're the same, but we're two. We're on polar opposites of the spectrum now. Are you able to separate who you are at work with who you are, like, at home with being the more motherly figure and the wife and the wife uh, wifely duties. I say that and I think it's funny because my brother is the one who always does the dishes and cleans and <laughs> all that stuff. So oh, wifely duties. But... Only when y'all are here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he does the dishes. Let me give him credit. He does do the dishes, but mainly because I cook all the meals. Okay. There we go. So and I usually am the one that cleans the rest of the house. He does the dishes. I fold the laundry. I wash <laughs> the laundry. I do. I clean the floors. Yeah. So it seems like there is like. A 50-50. Absolutely. Probably not with just the cleaning, but in all aspects of marriage and parenting that you have. And um, you and Patrick, you've been in how many more years than Patrick? Two. One, two more years than yeah. Patrick. Um, so how was, you know what? I, I know you didn't really answer the question, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> We've already moved on. So yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> so how is that? Because I feel like there's a stigma of, you know, the man supposed to, you know, be the breadwinner or be, I guess, more senior to the woman. And you've technically been in longer than your husband. You guys both have the same job. You've Mm -hmm. all worked somewhat at the same base. Different commands. Different different commands. commands. We have Um, worked together at the same command for one week when we (laughs) turned over. And Lord help me, that was the hardest week of my life. (laughs) I love my husband and I love your brother. (laughs) We cannot work together. (laughs) We are two total different people when when we put our uniforms on. Where Mm -hmm. I, the way that I lead and the way that I am am a leader is totally different than the way that he is a leader. Mm -hmm. And we don't get along in our leadership styles at all. Yeah, I I can totally see that. 
So, so how is it though with you guys being similar, like similar, the same rank right now? Mm-hmm. And like, are there different pressures? Like, do you think that Patrick feels pressures, the pressure like to be a higher rank than you or, if, or anything? If he does, it's not from me, because we don't, we've never put that kind of pressure on each other, mm-hmm. to be like. You're the man of the house. You wear the pants. Do that type of stuff. We've always been, from the day we got married, it's 100%, 100% from both of us. Like, we both give everything 100% to each other. It's never been like, you're the breadwinner. You're the man. You do this. Mm -hmm. We've always made every decision that we make from what we're going to have for dinner to the grocery list to what we're going to do is a decision that we make together. So it's never been you're the man you make the decision it's always been a decision together so if he feels it it's an outside pressure and he's never has there been any outside pressures like i don't know maybe people making comments about it there have been people like poking fun at Mm -hmm. but i don't think he's ever taken it like some people have said some stuff not gonna throw names out there but (laughs) we're not gonna throw names we may say it off the record Mm-hmm. But we're not going to throw names out here. But there have been some people that have said some stuff. But I, it doesn't happen often anymore to any, to us anyways, or to me. No one really says anything to us. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's because of how the culture and society has shifted more toward, I guess, equal rights toward women? I don't think this is the answer. But Or is it more like because you and your husband do have that respect toward each other that... I don't know, like, when people don't see you, we, at least from the outside perspective, like, we don't assume that, like, my brother, your husband has to have a higher rank or anything. It's kind of how you portray yourself in the workforce as well. It's kind of, I had a guy at work that said something about it one day, and he's like, well, I told my wife we were going to do this. I'm surprised that Patrick didn't tell you the same. And I was like, well, my husband and I, my husband doesn't dictate anything to me. He said, everything we do is a mutual decision. I said, first and foremost, it's not a dictatorship, we're in a marriage. Exactly. Let's squash that one right there. And that's probably why that man has relationship issues. (laughs) He wasn't happily married. I was like, let's let's squash this one right here. We don't dictate. My husband doesn't dictate to me. We don't we don't dictate to each other. Yeah, you guys are on the same team. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with you know Patrick is very confident in who he is as a man, and you know I. I always joke around that you and Patrick are literally me and my husband, Taven, because, you know, Taven and and Patrick are so much alike. They're very similar. Yeah, and we're just like, you know, the strong, independent women who can be seen as kind of bossy. Vocal, outspoken. I would say vocal and outspoken. (laughs) We, We make our opinions and feelings known. Yes. And like I think that's a, a a real man who can who can honor that and respect that and you know let the woman be their their true bad a selves. Agreed. And so sometimes Patrick has to like, hey hey, throttle back. Oh yeah, they're the calm to our storm. Basically, it's yeah. not an insecurity. It's a hey, I'm here to balance you out. You're being a little wild. Today. Yeah, he he has to. There are times where he's like, all right now, settle it down. You're getting to be a little much. And there has times, like, Patrick doesn't show a lot of emotion, but there are times, like, when he gets angry, mm-hmm. like, the fuse is, like, a millimeter long. It is zero to a thousand in, like, point zero 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 one. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, babe, you need to, you need to, you need to turn around and go somewhere else because <laughs> you're a little mad. You need to go calm down. You go do something else because go take a breath. <laughs> go eat a cookie. I don't know what you need to do, <laughs> but calm down. 
<laughs> right? And, like, that's coming from the one who's normally angry. <laughs> right. That's what I'm like with David. I'm like, hey, now, we both can't be the angry ones. All the time. All I tell him that. I'm like, babe, one of us gets to be cranky, and it's me. I'm the cranky one. You're the calm, cool, collected. You got to schedule it in. If, we, you... <laughs> if you're going to be angry, yes, we've got to pin this in so I can be in a good mood or I can be gone. This is what we have to do. So, I mean, you and Patrick have had an amazing marriage. Um, Thanks. Yeah, you guys are literally goals. And you've been together for such a long time. And 13 years. 13 years. I know that it has been, there has been doubt in your guys' marriage. Um, in the beginning, at least, because y'all were sneaky and got married. You eloped. Yeah, I remember that phone call. I know the exact place I was in when y'all called my mom and dad. So what had happened was, <laughs> let me explain this to everybody. So what had happened was, for those of you that don't and aren't military, in the military, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, do not count. They don't, they don't matter at all. They don't matter at all. You are either a single sailor or you are married. Cut, dry, end of story. So when Patrick and I were just engaged, we were in our window to PCS or permanent change of station to go from one duty station to another. He was on a ship getting ready to change from Brunswick, Maine to San Diego. I was stuck in Brunswick, Maine. The only way for me to move to San Diego and to be with Patrick was to get married. To elope, to shotgun wedding, whatever you want to call it. No, I wasn't pregnant. To <laughs> <laughs> the only way to stay with him was to get married. That whole saying, when you know, you know, mm-hmm. I knew. We had, we met, we were married six months later. I was like, why are we going to delay this if we're already here? We need to get married anyways to stay together. Yeah, exactly. So there was a whole story behind it. Yes. <laughs> <It's> no. like, <laughs> there was a reason. Yes, no, I knew there was a reason. <laughs> but like from outsider's perspective, I'm sure that like you said, six months, Yeah. you know, getting married. Um, Not to mention I had just gotten back from Iraq too. So I like the statistic is don't come back from Iraq. Don't immediately jump into a relationship. Don't immediately get married. Mm-hmm. Well, I did all of them. But look at you guys, you know, 13, 13 years, years later. 13 years later, and we're still going strong. And so. you're still going strong, exactly. So how did you guys, I guess, deal with, I don't know, with judgment from from outside, from outsiders, I guess? I mean, there is that whole typical, you know, people in the Navy or military just get married right away. Everyone assumed for the longest time that it was like, oh, she must be pregnant. Promise you I wasn't. Obviously, I wasn't. I've been married for 13 years. I have a six-year-old son. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't pregnant. And as Miranda said, part of this podcast will be about infertility. Yes. Haters are going to hate. And I, I learned a long time in high school, like a long time ago in high school, that everyone's got an opinion, whether it's a positive opinion or a negative opinion. I can't let those opinions dictate and guide my life. I can't. If I let everyone, everyone else's like judgment or what they think of me guide or or tell me how I'm supposed to feel about myself I will spend my whole state of mind like in a constant state of questioning who I am and what I Mm -hmm. am and how I value myself like I just can't do that that I just can't so it's almost one of those things where like you just have to block everyone else out and be like I am who I am own who I am own my mistakes and my my actions and be proud of it And that's what I did. I was like, this is, if it's a mistake that I've made, let me make it and let me learn from it. But I don't believe that it's a mistake. I thoroughly a thousand percent believe that God put me in that position and Patrick in that position for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that he put us there because that was where we were supposed to be in the stars line. And that was, we were that, we were that one 
that 1% of those people that make it. Yeah, especially with, you know, the military statistics, too, of, you know, divorce and and whatnot. But, yeah, it's, who cares what everyone else thinks? But I feel like you're either on one, one end of the spectrum. Like, it's either oh my gosh, you got married too quick, or oh my gosh, you guys aren't married yet. Basically, <laughs> yeah. No one's like, wow, this has been perfect timing. <laughs> but you, you can't please everybody. Yeah. You can't. Someone's always got an opinion. Always. There's, always. there's always some Karen out there that's got some sort of opinion. And I'm just like, you know what, keep it to yourself. I don't need to hear it. Yeah. And it's like, we don't like everyone, so why would we expect everyone, everyone to, to like us? us. It makes exactly. no sense. <laughs> I'm like, cool. Boy, if you need to voice your opinion because it makes you feel better, go ahead. But note that whatever you tell me is not going to, it's not going to change me. I'm going to walk away. Kirk Franklin has a song called Smile. The name of the song is Smile. And I don't know if you've heard it or not, or if y'all have heard it or not. But if you haven't, I urge you to look it up tonight. Because that is like, that is a song that I let guide my life. Are you going to give me like a good quote from the song or something? Even if it hurts me, I smile. Here we go. That's a good one. Yeah. Legitimately, even if it hurts me, I smile. So even if you say something to me that's negative or hurts me, I'm gonna walk away with a smile on my face. Yeah, it. The only th- person, thing, being anything that we have control over is, is ourselves. As much as we try, and it's like we barely have control over ourselves. I barely <laughs> look. If y'all could see my hair right now, <laughs> that's why there's no video because we just got back like from hours at the zoo. <laughs> In the in the Memphis heat, it was humid and woo. <laughs> Y'all can see us or smell us. <laughs> see, yeah, it's been a rough day. Okay, <laughs> well we're here. We're here. We're here. Um, so something that I actually didn't know about you guys until a couple days ago was when I was talking to Patrick and he was saying that. Oh Lord. <laughs> Uh-oh, what am I going to Brace say? for impact, because I don't even know what this one is. <laughs> well, how you guys, like, went to to couples therapy or therapy separately yeah. because you guys struggled with um, PTSD and how your therapist said that y'all should get a divorce. He, legitimately. So I came back from Iraq, and I had a really hard time adjusting back into society after that. I spent a year and a half boots on ground in Iraq, and I had a really hard time adjusting back. Little things like... A bottle on the side of the road would freak me out. People wearing yellow would freak me out. Those are all like triggers for me. Um, and I would take some of those out on Patrick. So it was, it was, I, I, I was the problem. Me like internalizing my emotional, my emotions were, were the problem. So we did go to couples therapy and he wasn't a legitimate therapist. First off, he was like the MWR version of a therapist. Oh, okay. That's good to know. So let's start there. <laughs> but he did. You know, he said that because Patrick and I couldn't figure out a way to work out our, our differences. Our differences were I have an issue with the way that my husband folds laundry. 13 years later, I still have an issue with the way that my husband folds laundry. So he was like, you're never going to work out. That's crazy. You know what we did? I wash and fold all the laundry and my husband puts it up. I will wash and fold every article of clothing that is dirty, and Patrick will put every single thing away. He will hang the clothes. He will put the socks up. He will put all of the laundry away. I will fa- I will wash and load and fold everything. He puts it all away. It's not a divorce. Yeah. It's just finding a different way to work it out. But see, like, even stuff like that, I feel like we like to put a lot of power into people who are supposed to have power in our society, like whether it's a therapist or... Um, maybe a teacher, you know, like people get heartbroken when their teachers say they'll never amount to something. And it's like, yeah. who are you? <laughs> like, who are you to tell me that? But for therapists to say that. I had the hardest time with math in school. 
legitimately had the hardest time with math in school. Do you know what I do in the Navy? <laughs> do you do math? <laughs> I'm a I'm a PS, y'all. I do pay and personnel. I deal <laughs> with numbers <laughs> on a daily basis. Like I have to know math. But I had teachers tell me that I that I'm math isn't your strong point. Mm-hmm. No, I just needed a different perspective. Yeah, and we can work through anything too. So. Um, even people with authority or high power in our life, like our parents, I feel like, especially, um, like you and I were so close to our own parents and, you know, especially, um, our moms and I am sure we expect them to be perfect and, um, we just treat everything they say like gold. We're just so close to them. It's like our best friend. Um, and I mean, we have amazing parents, so there's not much negative that would ever come from it. But I'm sure other people, like, really take to heart what their parents say if it is negative. And people who aren't even close to their parents, like, it's when it's your parents, it probably just breaks their heart, too. Or they'll just they'll just take it so personally when someone when someone says something and it's just so unfair to expect, you know, our parents to be perfect or, or a therapist to be perfect or a teacher to be perfect. Like someone can say like one thing and then they might, it might've just been something random thought that they had. And then we hold on to it like for years and it's years. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with us in the military, like doing pay and personnel. Everyone expects me and it's, and I understand everyone expects me to process it, to, to process everything and, and to catch every minor discrepancy, but I'm human. I'm human. I process yeah. like 16,000 pay transactions a month. I may not catch everything one or two issues may pass through, you know, and are those other 15,998 that were correct going to get, Look at you hey, math. <laughs> hey, she was great on those. No. No, it's always the But you guarantee thing, yeah. that one or two that I missed, which for the record, there's no fell in the system that tells me there was an issue with it. I have to wait for the service member to, to come to me and be like, hey, I have an issue with my pay this month. Mm-hmm. There's no way for me to catch it. For the record, let's throw that out there. There's no way for me to know that it's wrong until they tell me it's wrong. But I have to wait for them to come to me and tell me. And nine out of ten times, they won't bring it to me. They'll go straight to someone above me. Of course. That's the worst. And so then, like, someone above me is like, hey, why is this person's pay wrong? And they're like, well, I don't know, sir. Can I see what the issue is so I can tell you what the problem is? Like, can yeah. I see the pay? Let me do the math real quick and I'll tell you what the problem is. But everyone, everyone expects perfection. Mm-hmm. But nobody is perfect. Yeah, nobody is perfect. That's why we can't, like, take everything that people say to heart. Because then we need to expect everything that we say to be perfect, too. And it's we we have control of what we decide to listen to, whether it's, like, a critique. If someone criticizes us, we can take it and do something with it and change it and make it better. Or we can decide that, you know what, like, I, I don't want to do anything with that. Yeah. I'm always, like, give and take. I... I I think of life as a constant state of learning, a constant state of improvement. If I stop trying to learn or improve myself, where do I go from there? I stall. Yeah. So I'm like, I always try to learn and, and improve myself in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I love that. That's It's so important. It's something we all need to do. Because if you're not moving forward, you're, you're falling behind. You there, are. There's really no such thing as being stagnant. No. You're moving one direction or the other. You're not just staying there. You're not, you're not what we call flying halos. You're, you're, you're falling behind. That's exactly what you're doing. So you have to continue to progress and move forward. 
Yeah, and there's so many aspects and areas of our life where we can progress. And like I heard you say earlier, we're never going to know everything. And most of the time, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> it is so true. The more I think I know, the more I'm like, man, I really don't know. There's Oh, man. Thank goodness for the internet. Thank How does the internet for... know all these things? <laughs> Thank goodness for Google. <laughs> I'm loving this conversation so far, but I just wanted to take a minute to tell you guys about my group coaching that I offer. So I do group coaching for those who want to reach their goals without the pressure or the price of one-on-one coaching. The new group coaching session actually starts on August 2nd, but spots are limited. So if you are ready to heal your relationship with food, fitness, and yourself, all while while reaching your goals and enjoying your life, please reach out to me, whether it's on Instagram at thisismirandalee or emailing me um, at thisismirandalee at gmail.com or checking the link in my show notes. I would love to have you guys in my group coaching session. All right, let's get back to the show. So um, let's talk about your, your journey with, with infertility because, like you said, your son is six years old and you've been married for 13 years. So I'm sure... It you, was a struggle. You probably started wanting to have kids somewhat in the beginning of your marriage. I doubt you waited seven years. No, we definitely didn't. So pretty much from day one, we... Obviously, you know Patrick went to Iraq too. So mm-hmm. pretty much from... Like, the time he got back from Iraq, we started trying. So we tried for about a year and a half, just the natural way. This may get a little awkward because I'm going to talk about <laughs> sex with your brother. Aye, but, aye, aye. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, we tried the natural way, just yeah, yeah, okay. having fun. <laughs> and it never worked. So then we, you know, we went to see a doctor. And it turned out that, like, for a woman to get pregnant, you have to ovulate and your eggs, your, your eggs have to get to a certain size. Mine didn't get to that size to be able to, to fertilize. So they put me on a medicine called Clomid or a couple different ones. But the one I remember specifically was Clomid because I was on it for the longest time. So basically, I would have my cycle. Day five of my cycle, I would start this medicine. And then I would go to the doctor and he would scan all of my ovaries and my eggs and tell, and tell me basically, quote unquote, do your homework. <laughs> That's a good homework assignment. <laughs> right? And you tell you, so you would think. But when you, we did this for three years. Wow. Three years I was on this medication. And right after you stop the medication, you basically, you do your homework. And then by the time you find out that it didn't work, like you didn't get pregnant, you would start your cycle. And you would pre- repeat this process all over again. It's probably emotionally draining. It was exhausting emotionally. Not just emotionally, but physically. Because when you emotionally go through something, you're physically going through something, too. Like, because, you know, you're crying and you're, like... You're so exhausted for all the sex you're... you're Right? Well, I mean, yeah. (laughs) So, like... And then it just... And then at at one point, like, sex just became a chore. Yeah. When you're doing it like this for three years, it just... Like, it just took... It took so much out of us. And for a little while there, it took so much out of the, the relationship. So we tried that way on that specific medication for three. And then we tried a different way for two more... And then one of Patrick's co-workers in Jersey told us about a company called Helping Heroes through RMA of New Jersey, which is Reproductive Medi- Medicines of Association mm-hmm. of New Jersey, that had Helping Heroes. And it's a one-time for active-duty military, free for IVF. That's a little Petri dish thing, right? That's a little Petri dish. Okay. <laughs> so we could have tried IUI, which is the, intra- inter- the intrauterine injection, which mm-hmm. is basically where they 
they take his semen and they spin it around in a centrifuge and pull the viable semen to the, the top. strong swimmers. The strong swimmers. But not only did I have issues conceiving, but your brother also has 7 or 6% motility. So we're like... He has slow swimmers. He's yeah. He's got he's got a lot of motility. So he's got a lot that swim, but not all of them are good swimmers. Most uh. of them just swim in circles. <laughs> not all of them swim to the destination. Oh, Patrick. Lord help him. So, <laughs> so we you know we applied for the company. We got accepted, and they did one round, one embryo, for anyone that doesn't or hasn't gone through IVF, to have your first round. And only one embryo, whatever the word is, put in there. Injected, I guess we'll call it. Shot up. Shot up, <laughs> injected, turkey-basted, whatever. <laughs> um, inseminated is the appropriate word. Oh, there we go. To actually take on the first time is legitimately a miracle. Most, most women have to go through three to four rounds before it actually takes. But Daniel took first round one embryo. So by definition, the fact that we had him take on the first round first embryo is a miracle. So, but to go through that whole process, not only is it, you know, I was taking three to four pills a day, some by mouth, some not by mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, two to three injections in my stomach, in my leg a day. And this is for two to three months prior to, and then through the whole first trimester as well. So it's a lot on your body. It's a lot emotionally because you're terrified the whole time that you're going through. Like, is it going to work? Is it going to work? You know, and I praying daily, dear Lord, please let it work. Please let it work. Please let this be the one. Please let this work. Because we didn't know IVF is anywhere from ten to twenty thousand dollars, you know, for the whole thing, and then per round is anywhere from five to ten thousand for just the insemination portion of it. And we were doing it all for free. We had to pay five hundred dollars for the anesthesia. So, wow, it was it emotionally it was a lot, and then to go through the whole trying it naturally or with the assistance of the the Clomid. And none of it to, to ever take. I just, as a woman, I felt like a failure mm-hmm. to do the one thing that I was designed to do. Wow. Like the one thing that God put me on the earth to do. I couldn't do naturally without the help of someone else. Like I felt like a failure. But as, that's not, but that's, that's not God's purpose for you. But at the time, yeah. that's, you know, when that was what I wanted. I always, when I was a little girl, like I wanted, I wanted the marriage. I wanted the white picket fence. I wanted two mm-hmm. girls, two boys. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that was what it was. I wanted to be able to get pregnant. I wanted to be able to have lots of kids. I wanted to be able to do it on my choice, my time. And yeah. I couldn't. Like, the one thing that we can do, legitimately, we, as women, can do that men can't do. Yeah. I can't do. Without the help of, lo and behold, a male doctor. But Of course. <laughs> of course. He was a really good doctor, but... <laughs> but of course it's a male. <laughs> but of course it was a male. But it was, yeah. it was one of those things that for me, I felt like, as a woman, I felt like a failure. Well, not to be incentive or anything, um, but isn't it a bummer that you didn't know all this time when you were using protection before, you know, when you actually didn't want to have kids? Like, right? You didn't need it. I didn't need it. <laughs> y'all. Dang. But y'all you know <laughs> what? I was protected against STDs, so we're good. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we're good there. Okay, yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, okay, so you had Daniel. He's a miracle he's wonderful he's super loud don't know how that happened because if you guys met my brother he is so quiet so, quiet. so just like soft-spoken soft-spoken he's more extroverted now than he used to be but he's always been super introverted you're welcome 
<laughs> so this kid, oh my gosh, he is so funny. He obviously got his aunt's sense of humor because he's a hoot and a holler. <laughs> but I know you guys kept trying. So yeah. how how was that? What was the process for that? So when Daniel was about nine months, Patrick and I had the conversation about whether we wanted to have another. I wanted to have a little girl. I wanted to have a boy and a girl at least. So we tried two more times so total we've done a round of we've done three rounds of IVF the second round didn't take as they called it failed the third round took and we ended up miscarrying so a little girl and that one that one was the one where I was like I'm done like I don't I don't know that like physically and emotionally I can do this anymore mm-hmm. it was that was the hardest one that I've ever had to do like to know that not only like I was pregnant but that I had a girl like there was already a connection there to it mm-hmm. was was hard and both of those um ivf were not paid for by the navy they were paid for by you they were not paid for by the navy the navy does not cover any type of fertility or infertility treatment um why not <laughs> that is, i don't know i've had a, a a a male in a leadership position tell me that Children don't come in sea bags. But that, that's crazy to me because I feel like the Navy covers, or the military in general, they cover so much. Um, along with, you know, we were talking earlier about transgender surgeries. That was, that, that one was hard. I was disgruntled for a long time with that one because the military came out with, they were going to cover, you know, if you had a medical diagnosis where it was a, Medically, you were diagnosed as being the, the, the wrong gender or the inappropriate gender. They would pay for the transgender surgery to change your sex legally. Mm-hmm. I'm like, medically, I have been diagnosed with I cannot conceive children naturally. Mm-hmm. But you won't pay for my surgery. Unless there's, like, some diagnosis that says why I am the way that I am. But we don't have a reason. We mm-hmm. don't know why I am the way that I am. Unless we can say that. I was hit you know, I was hit with shrapnel in the uterus and I can't conceive a child that way. Well, I wasn't hit with shrapnel. Mm-hmm. We just there's no there's no diagnosed reason. I'm just for some unbeknownst reason I'm unfertile. Or I was unfertile. I've since had the hysterectomy, so mm-hmm. factory closed. But but that was like if you're gonna pay for one thing, pay for all of them. Don't pick and choose who you're yeah. covering for. And don't make I mean, don't give them out willy-nilly to everybody and their brother, but don't don't make getting the surgeries or the, the treatments that difficult to get. And, you know, both Patrick and I are in the military, so we had double the chance to try to get coverage to yeah. do. And the Navy doesn't cover the military, doesn't cover any type of infertility treatment. They'll cover some sort of fertility, but not infertility. Can you explain that? I don't understand. For instance... The Clomid that I was taking, mm-hmm. the military covered the cost of the prescription. Okay. Because it was f- fertility. Okay. But if the doctor had written the prescription as infertility, they wouldn't have covered it. Why? I don't know. Who wrote that rule? Probably a man, but. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Don't, don't get, don't take it wrong. I am so very proud of what I have done in the military and I am so grateful mm-hmm. and honored to be a part of the organization that I am a part of. I'm just. I think it, sometimes it's unfair that they do some of the things that they do. But that kind of, like, makes me go back to the whole we're not going to please everyone. I'm sure 
you know, the Navy's, like, trying to, or the military's trying to include more people, like, you know, doing the transgender surgeries, but then because those people are included, other people who aren't included, you know, they do feel excluded, and it's, like, um, trust me, I think that the the military should completely cover, like, infertility treatments and procedures and surgeries, but it's like, man, I'm probably from their side, it's hard to make everyone happy. And I get that. I get that, too. But I'm like, they're, they cover some cosmetic surgeries, too, and I'm like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that. Someone told me that you were allowed one cosmetic surgery, the military spouse. I'm like, but can my, could my cosmetic surgery be IVF? New, new ovaries. <laughs> could, right? Could it, could it have been new ovaries or a uterus? Like, one that functioned? <laughs> appropriately so how did all this like i don't want to say change but how did this like shape your relationship with god did it bring you closer with him did you question it i mean it all all of the above yeah <laughs> <laughs> all of the above at at one point i think anyone that deals with any type of loss questions it and and mm-hmm. asks the question why and gets angry for a little bit i think it's all part of the grieving process mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, it all, I, you know, I look at my child and I'm every day, no matter how frustrated and angry, and believe me, there are lots of days, (laughs) but no matter, no matter what, at the end of the day, I look at him and I am just, I'm, I'm so grateful that God chose me to be his mom. I'm so grateful and I'm so blessed that I get to be that little boy's mom, you know? So at the end of the day, it did, it did bring me closer. I know I have some listeners who have openly talked to me about struggling with infertility. What advice would you would you give to them? Do not give up. Do not give up. Pray. The pray, the t-shirt I bought the other day. Yep. Pray on it, pray over it, and pray through it. Exactly. Those are the only things that we can keep doing. Mm-hmm. For those that are are, you know, religious, pray on it, pray over it, pray through it. Those three things right there. I mean, there are three things, but it's really, ultimately, it's one. It's continue to keep your faith, continue to move forward in your faith, and mm-hmm. continue to keep trying. There, It was not easy for us to try to get that. We had to we had to go through, we had to rewrite letters. We had to get letters of recommendations. We had to continue to try. We had, we had five months left on the duty station that we were at in New Jersey to try to get all of this IVF done. Tip, typically, their, their time frame to get it all done is a year. That's insane, but like, like you said... You have this wonderful blessing, this miracle, and I do think God will always answer our prayers, and it might not be the way that that we wanted, you know? Absolutely. I, f- I feel like some people who do struggle with fert- infertility, like someone who I had on a previous podcast, um, Kristen Clark, she talked about how she struggled with it for, like, 10 years, and she just adopted yeah. two boys from Ukraine, you know, so I think God has a different answer for everyone's journey. You Absolutely. Know? It might be keep trying till you get pregnant or it might be keep trying till God answers your prayers in a different way. But that's that's the key to it right there is it's it may not be the answer to your question may not be the answer you want. Mm-hmm. It may not. But it you have to be willing to accept the answer that God's giving you. I love that. It's so true because just to think that that we should only get the answer that we can imagine. Like God's plan for us is so much greater. It's so much greater. And and sometimes his path and his plan for us is so much different than what we think. We just have to be willing to, we just have to be willing to open our eyes and to look at the signs and the, in the picture that he's trying to let us see. So it may not be keep trying with IVF. It may not be, 
keep trying the natural way. It, it may be keep trying to adopt. It may be any one of those. Yeah. Just keep trying. Just period. keep trying. Period. Be open. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's and so true. be honest with yourself. Sometimes you just have to take a break. How has your way of coping with mental health been through basically all these things with the mil- being a female in the military, dealing with infertility, dealing with PTSD, um, you know, getting married soon, like all this stuff. How do you deal with your mental health? Before it was running. Mm-hmm. Now it's not so much, but you know. But now it's listening. <laughs> <laughs> now I listen. And when I do my slow jogs. <laughs> slow. Being the key word there. Whatever. <laughs> she was a track and field runner, just for the record. For her, So her definition of slow is like my sprint. Not even close. Whatever. I saw her sprint the other day in the garage on the treadmill. It was not slow. It was a 30-second sprint. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I still run. I still do my quote-unquote run. But mm-hmm. now it's just, I, you know, good friends, good conversations. I don't keep it all bottled up and pinted up inside. Mm-hmm. I, I, use my, I use the gym. There's quotations there. The hey, gym. It's a legit gym. Her garage gym, legit. I use the gym as a uh, as my outlet for my mental health. You know, I mean, it's not like a CrossFit thing where I pick heavy stuff up and I put it down, or whatever the case is. It's just some some place that I can go for me. I can work through and think about and escape for me, and that's that's what I need. Running was my escape before, where I could just set and go, put AirPods in and listen and just kind of escape I can't do that anymore I have you know surgical still in my right ankle no cartilage in my right ankle healed incorrectly fifth metatarsal on my right foot oh my gosh you're a disaster (laughs) I'm a a disaster on my right (laughs) lower extremity so let's not do that says you know the girl sitting over there in my walking boot (laughs) oh my gosh okay I dropped a 45 pound plate on my foot it is black and blue and thank goodness for queen of injuries over here who has a boot again brought out the ice bag you're welcome (laughs) no so i you know i do it may sound cliche or whatever but i use that as my escape Mm -hmm. and then i've got good friends that i can always go to and and vent those frustrations to or or ask those questions and i always pray over Mm -hmm. anything that i'm really having really struggling with i always i always give it all to god as they say yeah. Give it to God. And like you said, your your outlet has somewhat changed over time. We can't expect to have the same outlet. Mm-hmm. So if like we lose that outlet, like running or whatever it was, like for me, it was boxing for a long time. And, it, you know, it, it's moved on to powerlifting and yeah. strongman. You've moved on to weightlifting. Um, and, you know, it doesn't just have to be like physical exercise. I think it's good to have multiple outlets. Like, you know, you have your fitness you have your friends and relationships and your relationship with God yep. and, you know, relationship with your husband, I'm sure. I'm sure you... Other than work, yes. Yeah. We have learned no no yes. work discussions. No work talk. No work talk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap it up? No, thank you. I would tell everyone to follow you on Instagram, but let's be real. I don't really have an Instagram. <laughs> I mean, be- I have one, but there's, like, maybe one picture on it. Everyone follows. You turn around, Laura has a, a thousand new followers. <laughs> Why didn't she post anything? Because I don't know how to use Instagram, y'all. I don't. I am sorry. <laughs> well, thank you for, for joining me for this podcast. Can't, can't wait for everyone 
to listen and you know you're just you're so relatable for a lot of the strong independent perfectionistic women out there who who listen and men too but sorry this podcast wasn't about you <laughs> oh darn oh darn maybe ne- wow shocker it's not about you men <laughs> <laughs> maybe next time maybe not. next time yeah not on this podcast <laughs> not on this one <laughs> well thank you laura thank you Thank you guys again for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, ladies, do not stop taking up space. You deserve to take up as much space as men, no matter what people tell you. And if you are a man, you just keep cheering for those women who are getting out of their comfort zone and taking up space. I appreciate you guys, and I will catch you next week on the next episode.